Hey, if you're new here, we're glad you're here. We are in this current series called Worlds Apart, where we have leaned into the stories of Jesus over Lent, where we journey with him to the cross, but not only to the cross, but one of the most amazing moments in history where Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And it is during this Lenten season where Jesus speaks into the world in which we live, but he also speaks about the world in which he comes from. And we've had these really interesting stories over the last five weeks where we see Jesus in the wilderness, and we said that the test leads us to trust, not to compromise. And so we saw Jesus tested in the wilderness. We saw him having cryptic conversations with a, a woman at the well with Nicodemus. And then last week, we saw him heal a blind man with, do you all remember what he used? Mud, that's right, mud and dirt, and he breathed life into the mud like he did at the beginning of creation, and he told this man that you can, not that you can't. We said can't is the language of original sin, which is so true. And so this morning, I'm excited about what we have today. I can't wait for it. Uh, I'm pretty excited, but would you pray for me this morning? Lord, we give these next few moments to you. May our hearts and minds be open to you as we receive your word, receive your goodness and your truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to do a few things a bit differently this morning. When we get there, I'll explain it. But first of all, I have a question like we do every week. And the question this week is, when is the last time you had to wait? In fact, when is the last time you had to wait for what you wanted? You know, we are a culture that is built on want, not wait. And we have businesses that thrive upon your identity of want. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Amazon. I love Amazon Prime. But Amazon is a company that thrives upon your want. And, oh, by the way, your anxiety and your fear. See, here's how it works. Think about this. How many of you have purchased from Amazon this, this last week? Oh my, a good majority of you, right? When you go to Amazon, uh, you will find next to the product, underneath they have, I'm telling you, Amazon is genius. Because they know that you don't want to wait for what you want. They know this. So right underneath the product, and it's been staring at me over and over and over again, not the product itself, not the product description, not the five-star reviews that it gets, but right underneath it, it says, only one left in stock. You're, you know this, right? And, and see, Amazon gets that in this very moment they have you because you've gone to Amazon and maybe you're questioning, should I really buy this thing? Is this something that I need? But then in green little letters, they're little, but they feel so big, it says only one left in stock. And it just stares you in the face. And then all of a sudden the anxiety and the fear begins to set in, right? There's only one. What if somebody else gets the only one left in stock? And so we begin to have these questions. Well, I don't really need it, but I think I want it. And I really don't want to wait for it to come back in stock. And what if it doesn't actually come back in stock? I'll never actually get what I wanted. So I'm not going to wait for it. And bam, guess what? No longer do you have to input your address, your information, and verify your credit card. You can simply click the new one-click button where you don't have to wait for the one left in stock, and you can get it immediately, bam, with one click. We have no clue what it means to wait at all. Some of you get this. They thrive on your anxiety. 
your fear that somebody might get what you want because you can't wait for it. But what if there's a counter story here? What if there's a counter narrative to who we are as God's people? And I want to ask this question, what if the wait is worth it? What if the wait is worth it? In fact, that's the idea that we're going to be working with today. The wait, I think we have it up on the screen. The wait is worth it. I need you to say it with me. The wait is worth it. I'm not sure that you're convinced that the wait is worth it. One more time. The wait is worth it. Thank you for waiting. We're going to jump into John's scripture here this morning because he gives us a beautiful narrative of what it means to wait. Now, here's what we're going to do a little bit different today. Usually I will get up and we'll read the entire passage, but I don't, it's a long one. So I'm actually going to have you stand different parts of the, the story as we read scripture. Uh, but I would have you stand right now. We're going to read John chapter 11. Now I don't have this on the screen, so I know this is a revolutionary thought, but if you would just grab the Bible in front of you, I know that's weird, um, but if you could grab the Bible in front of you, if you have your Bible, turn to John. It's in the latter half of the Bible. About the three quarters of the way in, maybe a little more than that. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John 11. And I want you to keep this in mind as we work with this idea, the weight is worth it. It says, now a man named Lazarus, that's a funny name. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, uh, the village Mary and his sister Martha were from. This is the same Mary whose brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured the perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is important that John tells us this. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, I love how she reminds him of that, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love how John points this out. We're talking a lot of love here. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days and then said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. You may have a seat. Have a seat. We'll give thanks for the word of God at the end. I know that felt weird. I, I need you to notice that this entire story, this entire mantra that we're working with this morning hinges upon Jesus' example in John. And i got to be honest, Jesus is so frustrating because he does things that don't make sense to us most of the time. Jesus does things that are completely counter to what the culture of his day said was right, and I think even today for us. But I love how the story is told. You see, Lazarus is sick. Martha and Mary send word to Jesus. Hey, remember the loved one, this loved one, Lazarus? Do you remember him? You know him, right? You love him. And do you remember how much you actually love us? Okay, I want you to take that love that you have for us, and I want you to get your hind end over here and heal my brother because he's about to die. He's sick. And I love, I love it. It says it right in the gospel. Jesus loved them so much that he stayed. He waited for two days. Notice the, Jesus didn't jump in his car and, and run over to the hospital. No, he didn't, he didn't get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and, and sent out a picture and said, look, this is the loved one that I'm about to go visit. He's about to die. Would you please pray for him? He didn't hurry over. No, he waited. 
he waited for two days. Now, this feels weird. I mean, if he really loved Lazarus, if he really loved Martha and Mary, why would Jesus wait? I know you're asking that question because you're studious people. I can, I can feel it today. Why would he wait? I love John's expression here of stayed or wait. You see, this expression that John is using is a lasting imminence between Jesus and God. That's literally what the word means. Stay means a lasting imminence between Jesus and John. And you're saying, what is imminence? Well, imminence is, imminence, imminence is the way in which the divine, hear this now, imminence is the way the divine is manifested in the material world. I know that's a deep thought there for a minute, but I need it to sink in because that's where we're heading. Imminence is the way the divine is manifested in the material world. That's right. The way that God is known in this world, the way that his character is revealed through Jesus is by the way that he not runs to the hospital to Lazarus, but by the way that he waits. See, we don't understand that, that waiting, waiting is the way that God's glory gets expressed to the world around us. That the way we tell God's story is by waiting in a culture of want. How many of you have been waiting on God for the last day? Maybe two days, maybe a month. How many have been waiting a year? Or two years. Somebody raised their hand. Am I the only one that's been waiting on God? My goodness. See, we, we wait on God. We wait on God and we say, somebody, please, like Amazon Prime Jesus to my house in two days. I'm sick of waiting. I can't wait on him anymore. And, and we, we, we just get sick of waiting on him and we just want him at this moment to show up and do what we've been asking him to, to do. But I, I want to pose this question to you. Have you ever thought for a minute that if God gave it to you now, you wouldn't even know it was him? That if God gave it to you right now, you wouldn't even know it was him. Let me tell you, there are many times in my life where I have prayed for something and God has answered that prayer in the next day, the next week, the next month. And oh, by the way, I missed the fact that he answered the prayer. And then two months later, I'll go back and I'll think, my goodness. God showed up, and I didn't even know it was him. You see, sometimes I think the reason the reason God makes us wait is because he wants to show us the work that he's going to do. And we wouldn't know the work he's doing if we hadn't been waiting on him. And that's the first point I want you to know. The wait is worth the work. The wait is worth seeing the work that God is going to do in our lives. And so you got to quit, quit, quit thinking about how soon you want God here, but begin to embrace the weight so you can understand the work when he shows up. And it's not just about the work that God is doing, but you become a witness of his work in the waiting. Somebody say amen, because that's good. You become a witness of his work in the waiting. Have you ever thought that your patience your patience could be a counter-narrative to a culture that is ingrained to immediacy and want? Have you ever thought that you waiting could be a completely different story about how life could be lived in a culture where we need it? Amazon Prime. Amazon shipped in 48 hours. We have like same day now too, right? You see, waiting, the wait is worth it. Because when we wait, 
that is where his work gets witnessed in our lives. I need you to stand with me again. Stand with me real quick. Some of you, if I want to sleep, you better stand up because it's, it's like it's like going back to the Catholic church when I you know, was in high school. We stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Here we go. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Really? <laughs> Thanks, Jesus, for that. By the way, four days was important because... Uh, the Jews believed that the soul separated from the body after three. So the reason why John tells us four is this man was completely dead. Four days, Lazarus was dead. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, not a far walk, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, listen to this, if you had been there, Jesus, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. Hang on to those two. In fact, circle those in your Bible if you have it with you. She said, where are you, Jesus? But I know that, that even if you ask God, he'll give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, you listen to me now, Martha. For I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, this is the question. Do you believe in me? This is the question, right? Do you believe in me? Have a seat. Have a seat. The next thing we learn about waiting is that waiting is worth running the fault line of fear and faith. Write that down. should be up there. Waiting is worth running the fault line of fear and faith. I need you to recognize the moment of honesty by Martha in this moment. You see, she runs up to Jesus and she says, where in Sam Hogan's have you been? By the way, that was a carpet company in Ohio we used to live next to. She says, Jesus, where have you been? And this is a moment of truth that I think many of us fail to express to God when we're frustrated. You see, in Lazarus' death, there was despair, there was brokenness, she was upset, she was afraid that she would never see her brother again, and she expresses to Jesus, it's all your fault. You see, you had the power to change his life, and you decided to what? Wait. What's your problem, Jesus? She expresses her fear in this moment. But I love right after that. Immediately after she says, where have you been? She also says, but I do know that God will give you whatever you ask. So she goes from this fear moment to now stepping over to this faith moment. Where she says, you know what? I believe. I believe that you are God and whatever you ask from him, he will give you. You see, I think some of us. Some of us feel bad for running the fault line of fear and faith. You think that if you fear, you don't have faith. And if you have faith and all of a sudden you feel just the slight bit of fear, some, somehow you've lost that faith. But what if this is the tension that we're called to live with? I mean, think about firefighters. I love firefighters. These are people who are probably filled with fear when they're running into the fire of a burning building. But yet they have the faith that when they go in, they will find the person that they're looking for and they will bring them out safely. Fear and faith. 
I was reminded this week as I was praying and I was working through this message, I was reminded of a, of a young lady in our small group who I think for, for her and for us, her husband had been sick for months and we had been running the fault line of fear and faith. I mean, literally, this gentleman was so sick, we thought at one point he was going to die. And I remember, we were filled with fear. But some of you will remember this moment, by the way, recognizing that God shows up when we wait and when, when he works. You'll remember this moment that his father-in-law came to this altar and said, I will be anointed on his behalf. And we anointed him, and we as a church family prayed for him. And do you know what? The next day, that week, he was healed. I remember it was like, what happened? I mean, he went from being deathly ill to all of a sudden his body was healed. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us walking this line and this tension of fear and faith. In fact, that, I think that's where waiting is. I think that's where waiting happens. I love it. One theologian says, I love this. He says, what hope and anxiety have in common is a sense of what is possible. What hope and anxiety have in common is a sense of what is possible. In anxiety, we anticipate possible danger. And in hope, we anticipate deliverance. I think it's okay. Waiting runs the fault line of fear and faith. Last time you have to stand up, stand up with me here. Verse 28, the story continues. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you specifically. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, uh, uh, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, <laughs> notice the repetition of this story. Now Mary's on his case. Lord, if you, were, if you just would have been there in that moment, my brother wouldn't have died. Now she's at his feet, face down, and she says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? You can see. The other thing we learned from the story is that waiting is worth weeping. Waiting is worth weeping. We have been we have been told a lie, by the way. I don't know if you know this, but we have told been told in our culture that people who lament and people who weep are weak. We are told that if, if we find ourselves waiting and the weeping and we are lamenting and we are crying over the people that we've lost or the difficult situations that we face or maybe the health issues that we if we are if we are waiting in the weeping we are considered worthless in this in this culture right because guess what you're not moving you're simply waiting 
You're not producing something. You're not participating in the life of the economy. And I find that to be sad. You see, I think our greatest understanding of who we are comes about in moments of weeping and vulnerability. Notice that Mary goes and she, she puts her face at his feet and she begins to weep. And I want you to notice that, that this is also the same woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And this is also the same posture that Jesus is going to take in about a week or so with his disciples when he begins to wash his feet. And then he takes one of the most vulnerable stances ever known to humankind and he sticks his arm out on the cross and becomes so vulnerable. And I think in our culture we are afraid of being vulnerable. You see, lamenting, crying, weeping is considered weak and vulnerable. And we have been taught from birth that we shouldn't be those things. But what if what if waiting, weeping, and weakness and vulnerability are the way that we come to God? What if those are the ways that we actually begin to grow with God? Did you know the word vulnerable comes from the Latin word vulnus, which actually means to wound? See, when we become vulnerable, we actually put ourselves out there in such a way that people can use that as ammo against us. That people will hurt you when they know things about you that you didn't want anybody else to know, right? But the opposite is also true. What if vulnerability becomes the way that we find freedom, we find life, we find happiness, we find joy, and we find God's love? When we find ourselves at his feet, when we learn to wait in those moments of weeping and we begin to become vulnerable to him. I love the the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. A lot of people will say, oh, this proves that Jesus, this proves Jesus' humanity. But I like to think that it proves his identification with humanity. You see, it is in the waiting and the weeping that, and it's in the waiting that he is with us. You see, I know that God feels distant. I know that he feels like he's not there in the middle of your lamenting, in the middle of your pain. We have some people in this church who have lost loved ones over the last year, and it has been so painful for you. But inside of you, there is something saying, I need to go back to work to get away from this. I need to escape this because it's uncomfortable. I'm vulnerable, and I don't like feeling this way, and I just need to go. And we wash away what God wants to do in our work, in our busyness, in our life. And then you wonder why three years later you're still lamenting the person you lost and you don't understand why you can't have joy in your life. And the reason you don't have joy is because you never actually lamented the very person that hurt you or the person that you lost. Can I just say to to some of you, some of you need to wait. Some of you need to embrace the hurt, the difficulty, and the pain. You need to embrace that. You need to embrace it. The last thing that I want you to understand about waiting is that the waiting is worth the space between. Waiting is worth the space between. It's interesting that in this story, we are running uh, along this this weird continuum of in-between space of life and death, actually death and life, that 
after Lazarus' death, there is this moment where some people are joyful, some people are happy, some people are crying, some people are whatever they are. But there's this in-between space before Lazarus is resurrected and people aren't sure what to do with it. In fact, they're wondering and they're asking, God, why weren't you here? As if he couldn't work in, in, in that very moment in the space between. You see, there, there's science that proves, I love this, there's an amount of science that argues that energy in the universe is actually not in the planets. It's not in the atom, or excuse me, it's not in the protons, it's not in the neutrons, it's not in cell organisms, but it's actually in the space between. It's the relationship between where the energy happens. Can somebody wake up on me here? The energy, the life force of God is in between, not in this moment or that moment. It's in the in-between. It's in the waiting. That's where we begin to experience the life force of God. That is where energy happens. And some of you don't like the space of, space to between. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable, right? Because we feel like we are still waiting in the moment of death, and we want to be alive, but we just, we don't like it. We live in that moment now. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And what's the last part? Christ will come again. But we're waiting in this moment. And I'm telling you now, there is a world out there that will tell you God is absent. God isn't present. He doesn't care about you or your issues. He's aloof. He, he's unmovable. He's unshakable. And let me tell you right now, it is the space between where we will find God's energy. Because guess what? This is the God who waits with you. This is the God who weeps with you. This is the God who is with you in this very moment, sustaining you and holding you and caring for you. And so I need you to know that that the waiting is worth the space between because that is where the growth happens. That is where we find God, and that's what we understand relationship to be. This morning, I, I know some of you have been waiting a long time. Some of you have been exhausted by the waiting, and you just want it now, right? Some of you have been waiting so long that it's time for something new to happen. You see, this really is our identity as Christian people. The people of Israel waited, we think, two hours, or excuse me, two days is a long time. Imagine waiting hundreds of years in exile and slavery for God to free you. And I love it. A prophet shows up. A prophet shows up in the middle of exile, in the middle of slavery, and he says, guess what? I have a word of hope for you today. You have been waiting for so long, and I want you to know that I've been there all along, and I want you to hear this. I've been with you, I hear you, and now it's time. Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. Dead people. He doesn't say it, but I'm going to say it. Dead people. 
probably looked a little bit like Auschwitz. He led me back and forth among the bones. Can you imagine walking among bones? My parents always taught me not to walk over people's cemeteries. It's disrespectful. And here we have the prophet walking over bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were so dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, only you know that. And then he said to me, prophesy. That's a fun word. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. Wow, this is a visual from last week. Right? When God picks up the dirt and he breathes life into it or Jesus spits on it. It comes from the mouth. He says, I will breathe and breath will enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. This is weird. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. I am the man. You remember this from last week, right? So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and there were tendons, and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, not to the bones. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Lord says. Come breath from four winds and breath into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life. And they stood up on their feet. A vast army of people. Come on, y'all. This is like amazing. And these aren't my words. These are God's words. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, I prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to open up your graves and bring you back up from them. And I will fill you with life in the land that I promised you. Woo! Somebody, come on. This is good. This is life. Ironically, we flip over to John. Some hundred years later, when everybody's been waiting for the Messiah to show up. You see, Ezekiel was talking about something that he didn't fully understand. But now here comes the embodiment of what Ezekiel just expressed to us. It says Jesus was moved, and he told the people, take away this stone. And Martha said, don't do it, Lord. My brother smells like dang doobie. Because he's been there for four days, and he stinks. I think the, the what, what's it, stinketh? He stinketh. That's what, the, that's what the real version says. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, not pray some formulaic prayer, not come to church every Sunday, 
not follow all the rules. He says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you've heard my prayer. I didn't do this for me, but I did this for the glory of you. And so that those who believe would know that you are the one who sent me. And he said, Lazarus, which means God help us. Oh, that's important, right? So you're trying to do it all on your own. God help us. Lazarus, come out. You see, this is what happens when we wait. When we wait and all of a sudden the work begins and we begin to see God show up and the bones are put together, they have tendons, they have flesh, they are given life, and Lazarus comes from the dead and Jesus says, come out. Some of you need to come out this morning. Some of you have been waiting. Some of you have been saying, I don't need God. And I don't know how to tell you, but you've been waiting in death. See, there is something inside of you that is saying there's got to be more to life than this. There is, there's got to be something that I'll experience that actually makes sense in this moment. And God is saying, come out. It's time for you to come out. And Jesus says, you must I don't think we understand the gravity of this because we have made our faiths something completely other than that. You see, when we believe in God, when we believe that he can change our lives, when we believe that he is calling us to something new and not the old, this is repentance. That is literally what repentance is. I'm walking in this way towards death, and Jesus says, come out, and I'm like, okay, because I believe that is repentance right there. You just witnessed it. Look at that. Okay, here we are. Yep, thanks, God. Got me. And we make it so complicated. Somebody here needs to believe. Somebody here needs to come out. God is speaking to your heart. He's been working with you. He's been talking to you. You felt like you've been dead all along. And I'm just saying that you simply need to believe. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and feel weird. But at the end of the day, I need you to to check our connect card where it says, you know what, for the first time today, I decided that I'm going to follow God. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for months about you. We've been praying that God would change your life and move you from the can't to the could. See, you've been living in can't. This is a message from last week. You've been living in can't. You've been living in death. And see, we want you to move to the, the, the place of could where you begin to experience the possibilities of all that God has for you. See, that's what life could be, about possibilities, about possibilities. Church, I need you to come out. The wait is worth it. I need you to come out of your comfort zone. I need you to come out of your fortress. I need you to come out of the good old days. I need you to come out of sin. I need you to come out of the lies that tell you you can't succeed, that you spend too much, that you buy, you donate, be happy. Come out of your slumber and enter into the kingdom of God. That's what we mean by worlds apart. Is this this beautiful space when we begin to live into the coming out that God calls us to, that the kingdom gets expressed to people around us. 
I, I don't know what it is. I'm no longer talking to the people who need Jesus. I'm talking to the people who claim to be Jesus but look nothing like him. I include myself in this. We have fallen into a rhythm in the church, and I feel it in my heart and in my soul, and I wake up every day saying there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Don't you feel that way? Am I the only one that feels that way? There's got to be more for this church than what exists currently. And I think God wants us to to believe. Church, you need to regain the identity of what it means to believe. You need to understand we've been waiting for God to show up. Oh, he's been here. We just haven't recognized it. I need you to believe we're praying for 50 new followers. I'm going to talk about it again. I need you to join me in this prayer. Every morning when you get up, I need you to pray. Pray for those new Believers, as I shared with the NMI folks yesterday via video, uh, I watched through prayer 40 people come to life in Mexico on a work and witness trip. Now, I was the one that was witnessed to. What's the irony in that? We go to a place to witness to people, and I'm the one that got witnessed to. I witnessed dry bones come to life. And I want that for us. But it's only going to happen when we pray. It's only going to happen when we move. It's only going to happen when we believe that God can use us to be the avenues in which his grace is expressed to the world. Amen. That is you. That is you. Come out and believe that God can do a new thing. Lord, we give you glory for this day. We give you glory for every day. We thank you that salvation is not just for the Jews, but is for all people who claim the name of Jesus Christ this day. Lord, I pray for the person here who is who has found their way to this church, who has maybe been attending for years or attending for the first time, who has been saying, you know what, I feel dead inside and I need something new. Lord, I pray that in this moment they would simply say, I believe that God can do what he says he can do and that he can change my life and make me something new that I will no longer be dry bones, but I will be life that has your breath in it, that I will be your image to the world of love and grace. I pray that that person would would know you and believe in you this day. Lord, I pray that you would change us as a church. Help us to come out of this church shell that we have been in. Help us to rethink the way life was meant to be as a body and a community who who claims to follow Christ. Let us rethink this so we can be alive again. Lord, we want your breath. We want your spirit to move within this church. Would you Breathe into us your life today, and may we roll the stone away. May you roll roll the stone away so we can help others see your glory. Lord, help us to understand that waiting is worth it. The wait is worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you serving communion, if you'd come forward this morning.
one of the ways that we respond in our church to the grace of God is by joining him at his dinner table. When we believe God has spoken life to us, we come and eat this very life that he's given us. So this morning, I invite each of you, I don't care where you are in your journey, you may not have it together, you may have messed up last night, I don't care what it is, as long as you are striving after God and you are searching after him, he asks that you come and you eat at his table. And it's a great table, let me tell you. So this morning, I pray that in this very moment where you receive God, you would begin to feel his love and his grace in your life that you so desperately needed. We pray for these things. We pray for these elements. Lord, bless this moment as we receive your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come forward, I'll have you take the cup. You can drink from the cup right here, and then go ahead and set it in the the plates next to the servers, and then you can go back to your seat. Thank you. Thank you.